Welcome back. This is The Hang with Alan Blanchard and Nick Finzer. I'm Nick Finzer. Alan is over there. I'm Blanchard. <laughs> um, welcome back. I know last time we had a great guest on the show, uh, Adam Larson. And that was really fascinating to hear his take on uh, the business of jazz, his new teaching position at the university. Uh, what's M? Missouri? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. University of Missouri, K- uh, Kansas City. Yeah. Apparently, I still don't know my states. Jesus, um, come on. Uh, but anyway, so today we're back. No guests this time. We'd love to hear some suggestions from you all about guests if you want to hear us. Uh, so from somebody either on this show or one of our other shows, give us an email info at outsideofmusic.com. And uh, the other thing that we're pushing really hard this month is uh, the playlist, our This Is Jazz Today playlist, which is about to be updated. And uh, for uh, what month? August, because it's almost September now. So, right. Um, yeah, it's a very exciting time. We've had a lot of releases this summer, big releases. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. A lot of a lot of people have been putting out music. Uh, Roxy Cost just put out her record, which has been getting you know great feedback and everything. Yeah, just got got to some exciting emails this week about that one. Maybe some something happening with Apple Music and something uh, review and downbeat, all about jazz. Everything's happening. New York Times, I think, right? Yep, she was featured in the New York Times. If you haven't heard that new record, that's. Uh, Roxy's record is called Quintet, and it also has a bunch of videos that are live now on our YouTube page. Uh, so I know she released the video of Don't Cross the Costs, a video of All or Nothing at All, that jazz standard. And then also Mr. President came out last weekend because it was featured in the New York Times uh, music playlist. So big thanks to the Times for doing that and uh, to Roxy's team for pushing out pushing that out everywhere. So if you haven't checked that out, Quintet by Roxy Cost. And then the month before that, we had the great, uh, the month before that being July, that's we had Paul Nizella, the baritone saxophonist for the jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, um, who also had an amazing record. So I guess it's been mostly big releases with uh, some more, um, art, more seasoned artists uh, than um, frequent, but I'm excited. There's a bunch of stuff coming this fall. But that's not why we're here. We're here to um, talk about a couple of topics. And we kind of had something planned for today's episode because it's the first week of school for me at the University of North Texas, but it is not the first week of school for Alan for probably the first time in his entire life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. At least as long as I can remember, you know, it's, it's going straight through school and everything. But uh, I determined that that would be a boring topic for a show. So <laughs> we're going to jump into two things that I didn't even know I wanted to talk about. And that is, one, we discovered this morning that a thing that happens is that people apparently still bootleg albums. <laughs> they put them on Amazon. So we had uh, somebody put out a record and... It was a digital-only release, and all of a sudden this morning, I'm looking, trying to send this person, uh, you know, the links to their music and say, congratulations, the record's out, blah, blah, blah. And then I sent Alan an email saying, hey, uh, I think we got the wrong artwork on this on this artist's page. And come to find out that that wasn't even posted by us, and somebody decided to download the music 
make a crappy scan in black and white of the artwork, upload it to Amazon and resell a bootleg copy of this person's album and only list one copy. So nothing suspicious about it at all. Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting now because like the plot's um, thickening because I Googled the name of the uh, the shop or whatever and they have like a, like social media and a, and a website. Oh man, you sent it to me. Okay. Um. Yeah, so basically kind of what Nick said is like we freaked out for a second because uh, we thought that this was something with our artists, which we didn't think was a physical release to begin with. Um. But evidently, someone decided that it should be a physical release, and it's here. Yeah, I mean, at first, when you said that, that also this website you just sent me is a podcasting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is very confusing. The plot is thickening as we speak. Uh, what was I even saying? Um, well, at first, I thought what it was was that Amazon does have. They used to do this thing. I don't know if they still do it, where they would call it. Uh, what did they call it? Like Amazon Rip. And they would like rip the CDs and then like make burned copies of them. I don't even know if they still How's do that it legal? anymore. But you would have to like opt into it as an artist. You would oh, say okay. like, oh yeah, it's okay for Amazon to make these copies. Like for example, if your record was out of print and you and you wanted it to still be able to be de- bought by somebody that wanted a physical CD, you would maybe enroll in that so that they could be print on demand. Because Amazon does books on demand, and so now, and then they also started doing CDs on demand. But I feel like that disappeared because nobody buys CDs. I mean, I I buy CDs. <laughs> you, you buy, buy CDs. CDs? Do you have you? a CD player in your car? Um, yes, actually, I do. I do have a CD player in my car. Yeah, my car doesn't have a CD player. I have a my uh, office doesn't have a CD player. My computer doesn't have a CD player. Wait, how does your office not have a CD? You're like a music professor. I got no CD player, man. <laughs> man, I have a like I had to buy him one for my Mac, but I have a CD player. Yeah, so I guess you're more dedicated to the archaic technology of CDs than I am. I mean, what about Maria Schneider's music? That's true. She doesn't. You can download it still. You just can't stream it. Mm-hmm. You can buy the download. You don't I understand. Have it on my computer. You just don't understand how like light bulb of a moment that was like everyone was talking about maria schneider or ravinia i was like why have i not really heard like tons of her stuff and then i hit you up and you're like oh yeah it can't be streamed <laughs> and i was like oh that makes sense yeah see i think this is a prime example of why i push artists to stream their music even if they disagree with the politics around streaming because i think maria is in a position where she doesn't necessarily have to worry about people knowing who she is, like people in the jazz industry know who she is. She's involved at the top levels. She's Grammy winning. But for the rest of us who are just coming up, I think like if you can't, you're saying that this is somebody that you know who they are, but then you still haven't heard their music because it's not streaming. And I don't think that has anything to do with anything other than being generationally different. That like, if it's not something you can go and find, you just move on to the next thing. But I mean, I'll, a hundred percent admit like she was one of those people where I had known like I had heard, like someone had most likely played something for me that was Maria Schneider. Um, but I generally knew of her just because like everybody said her name, you know, sure. like she obviously she's talked about a lot because she does great things. Um, 
But yeah, I just, it, you know, it's like one of those things, like just when we were talking and I, uh, what did I say the other day? I don't think I've listened to enough jazz or I'm listening enough to jazz. <laughs> you did say that. And I, yeah, but like, it's just a realization of like how much, um, listening do you do with thought, you know? Mm -hmm. Active listening. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> need to do yeah, more. It's like having it on in the car or in the room while you're doing something else or actually sitting and listening to something are totally different skills. That's funny. Because right. That's and I mean, now I look skill. over. Go ahead. No, so that's the, that's the first topic in my, um, in our class for our freshman jazz trombonists. You know, that's the first thing we talk about. You have to actually listen to music, not just put it on and just listen to it in the background. Cause maybe you've never learned how to listen, how to like isolate different parts of the music, like listen to a track and just listen for the bass and then just listen to the drums and then just listen for the holes where the piano comps during the solos, you know, like there's so many just different things you can try to do uh, as a active listening exercise, just to develop your awareness of what's happening. Anyway, that would get off my professor horse now. <laughs> well, no, I just realized it. Cause like I, you know, I peered to the right to see my archaic CDs <laughs> And, you know, I, out of what might be 50 or 60, you know, I only have listened to five of them all the way through and maybe only 15 of them. Like I've actually played the CD, um, but, I, you know, I just got CDs because that's like what was always told of me to do. Like you're a jazz musician. You have to buy CDs. You have to buy records. And like I enjoy it, you know, because I, I certainly enjoy being able to turn around and like if I'm listening to something like read the liner notes or. Or, uh, I mean, in college, I would do a thing where, like, like a week, I, w I would choose a CD and, like, that's, like, it would just be in my car and that's all I would listen to while driving to school. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, I, I really, I, I guess, don't go through them often, which is another weird thing is, like, do you ever run out of stuff to listen to? And I know, like, not, not in the sense that, like, you listen to all the music, but, like, you don't know what to choose or you find yourself like going back to the same stuff too much. And like, you don't, you know, you've never figured out, like you get to a moment. You're like, I don't know what I want to listen to. Like, I don't know what record to go to next. Cause there's so much out there. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if I feel that way. I think, it, I, I think that's maybe the difference between someone that's a little older than you. <laughs> you know, you know what you need to listen to and you know what you, uh, what you're going to gravitate towards. I don't know. I, there's never like a time where there's not something to listen to. That's for sure. Yeah. I will say the hardest thing is finding um, transcriptions, in my opinion. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. Like there's, and I know like you by no means ever have to transcribe an entire solo, you know, like that whole feeling is just fake you can just transcribe whatever part of it you want mm -hmm. um but there's very few times that like i'll find a solo where it um like i do want to transcribe the entire thing and like the entire thing captivates me enough to where myself who's not quick at transcribing by any means um like has the mental capacity to want to stay with it long enough mm. Or knowing like which solo is um is worth it, 
enough to transcribe, you know, like, is it better to transcribe someone playing like their original music and doing this one thing? Or is it better to transcribe like Dizzy playing on a standard where like, then you can literally look at it and be like, well, this is going to be maybe more applicable broad scheme of things, you know, like, like what purpose is the transcription for? Well, I think that is the answer to your question. What is it for? You know? Yeah, but it's not a wrong answer to just be like, I like it. Well, then, yeah, I mean, but you, the, the what is it for is I like this uh, thing and I need to know more about it so that I can learn to play like the things that I like. Right, right. There's, I think, always going from the why. Like, why are you going to transcribe Dizzy? There's going to be a different reason than why you transcribe um, Ambrose or why you transcribe Coltrane or whatever. I don't know. I think there's a certain amount that you just have to go and you have to dig in and do whole solos and you have to like practice that learning experience of like doing something so um, deeply, you know, like I, it's not necessarily that you need to get all of the vocabulary that's in the whole solo, but there's something about the actual process of forcing yourself to learn the whole thing that is a mental exercise in concentration almost and just focus and determination and like i'm not gonna give up on this thing even though it's hard yeah i mean and you know i kind of have a theory that like you know those musicians that you'll be like what did you transcribe as a kid and they'll be like i never transcribed a solo like i think it's full of crap <laughs> because whether they actually transcribed or something i feel like just the amount of like active listening they did almost took place of it you know like they were they were doing the things that you should like you need to be doing but just like you know they didn't actually sit down necessarily and like learn an entire solo and i'm sure they still learn you know licks or or, or lines or whatever like you know the, the tag to cherokee like they probably put on a record and listened to it that way and that's how they did it or someone played it and then they learned it from ear that way and like that's still transcribing you know just not the formal process that i think that we all call it yeah i mean if you have music inside of your brain and then you train yourself to be able to quickly get what's in your brain out on your instrument then you don't actually have to transcribe anything because you you have that connection to your instrument and you know how it's supposed to sound and you can just play it i mean to me that's the goal which you know so here's an interesting question for you um and I will not, you know, I don't have too much exposure to like, uh, like actually working with young jazz vocalists that are, are trying to get this stuff like in college and whatnot. And I know that UNT has a vocal program and all, mm -hmm. um, do you found, find that they are like, um, hesitant might not be the right word, but like scared of improvisation or, or do they like do it easily? Because like to, for me, that's something yeah, I think you would agree when you were starting up, like even if you couldn't play the idea on your trombone, it was a little easier to like vocalize, like sing your idea. Um, so how do you, how do like vocals deal with that? Because not everyone of course, like scats to, to what degree? Um, I think, well, I mean at UNT, they forced them to do it whether they want to or not as part of like being uh, in the improv class. So uh, all of that transcribing and learning, to improvise like a jet the jazz language is part of what they learn um so are they scared to do it i don't know i think it's 
it's the same thing. It's just like be actually being able to like the the skill is on vocals, like being able to actually execute accurately the pitches, you know, as a, you know, one of us, you or I, when we sing something, it's like, you know, sort of close, but if you're a vocalist, ah, you want you to heard be, me sing. <laughs> so maybe you're not even close at all. No, but, no, no, not at all. Not at all. So, you know what I mean? But it's like, we kind of like can sing, a, and, but they have like a higher standard for like executing a bebop line, actually like, you know, getting all the pitches exactly correct and like really singing in tune unlike us where we're just kind of singing an idea and then you know what it's supposed to be, you kind of translate it to your instrument and make it more accurate and clear. But I don't know, because my ever since I started playing jazz, like it's always been this idea that you have to be able to sing it to be able to play it. And I don't know. So Well and singing helped uh, helps me a lot with transcribing at least because I started to realize which was the biggest frustration in the world. Um when you transcribe something and then you, you know you get past it and then you come back and you realize like your brain has just made that pitch like a C sharp, but it's actually a different pitch. Mm-hmm. Um and so like I learned when it came to that stuff, like I had to just whatever awful noise came out of my mouth, <laughs> I had to at least like match the pitch ideally in the same octave. And it would just go from like me playing the recording to like me making a noise to me trying to match the noise on my trunk, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a hard process. Like, yeah. And I, I've done it with your stuff with rhythms. When you've told me to put something in a finale, you're like, this is not what I play. And I go back and I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely a skill to get better at and faster at. It's something that's important, you know? Yeah. But I mean, man, rhythmic dictation and I know I'm saying this with like every introductory theory person, like about to throw a party, but like that's so difficult to do. It's difficult if um, you don't do it very often. No, no, no. It's just difficult to do. <laughs> it's not difficult like people, to do. There's only so many rhythms. Yeah, there's only so many rhythms, but like when you're trying to, um, like rhythmic dictation of something classical, and I'm going to separate the two here. Not that difficult because like process of elimination. But when you start to get into someone's solo, there's like almost times where you have to interpret as what they're intending because of like the interpretation of where the beat lies and, you know, whether they're trying like because they don't think about rhythms necessarily to the point where it's like, you know, I'm intending to play a triplet here. You know, and with ghosting and everything, like sometimes it does get hard to interpret what it's trying to be. Uh, I don't know. I don't agree. I think you're no. All right, it maybe it's hard. just me. I think you're thinking about it too hard. You just it has to be clear enough to be able to read it. It doesn't have to be right. perfect, especially an improvised solo is never going to be exactly perfect. You know, and so to me, especially something that's played rubato or improvised, you're writing something that is clear not something that is exact, you know? If you want it to be exact, yeah, you can make yeah. the computer do it, and the computer will write with, like, 64th rests and 32nd rests, and that's not helpful to anyone at all. Right, right. Um, you know, so I think it. I, I think there was a... Um, well, let me ask you this. So we, we were going to originally talk about school and whatnot, um, and I think something that is kind of interesting, at least to me in a sense of self 
bettering <laughs> um, is, and I don't know if you see this now being an adult teaching school, but I know at least students going through school, the start of school uh, or the start of a new semester was almost like New Year's, you know, like everyone felt for some reason, like they had some clean start some clean slate. Like, I feel like you're making resolutions uh -huh. <laughs> that you're actually going to use your planner, you know, like you're going to, I don't know, be productive. Sure. Um, which of course, like to a lot of people shortly dies come September two, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, what is your, like, first off, do you feel that way as a professor? Like, like it is a, 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 um, a milestone or something that like, marks like okay here we go like like fresh start like that is the spot where like goals can start afterwards like everyone deals with new year's hmm. good question i don't i guess it could feel that way i mean definitely in terms of a semester it's hard to change course in the middle of a semester in terms of goals or in terms of projects or in terms of you know syllabi or direction for a class anything like that so the the new semester gives you a chance to start again. So the professor sure. doesn't really forget about everything that's happened before, you know, that semester. For as a student, like your reputation precedes you, so it's always a building game. You know, you gotta keep on keep on working. Yeah, but I think you you know I completely agree. Like if you're an awful student, semester one, they're not going to forget that semester two. But there there is an understanding of like you know, there's something finite about like the end of the semester. And then you turn around and you're like, okay, hey, you know, here's a do better next semester. You know, like we, we crossed that bridge and like, we all know where we're at, but here's another chance or something, you know? Sure. I mean, everyone gives extra chances and wants you to do well. I mean, nobody's trying to like root against you, at least in my experience. Everybody wants you to do well, be a champion of the music, go out into the world, share the love. Now, I will say, and this might just be a me thing, but I'm I'm going to go on a limb here and claim it's not. Um, the hardest thing about being out of school, besides not having like, you know, uh, like the resources, like the accessibility to like pianos and practice rooms and all that stuff, um, is self-implementing um, a, a schedule or a routine or anything like when that. You're out of school, yeah. It's tough. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is tough. I live and die by my calendar now. I don't know. It's if I don't schedule stuff in, it just doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, it's not something you can really. I feel like all this like stuff about like scheduling or using a planner, like until you like literally crash and burn because you forgot something really important, like then you're like, all right, I'm actually going to do this because I don't want that to happen again. Uh, I feel like you have to have that. See, but it's weird, like. I I have the anxiety of crashing and burning, but I haven't necessarily crashed and burned big enough yet. <laughs> um towards because like in school, you know, if you don't get it done in time, like what happens? like you fail. Like that sure. that is the crashing and burning is you fail. Or you go to a lesson and you get like you, you know, you disappointed your father essentially or like you get roasted sure. by your professor for not having it done. Um, but like once you get out of school, like it's so, I mean, I, simple is not the right word, but like you don't necessarily have as many repercussions day to day 
that's going to implement it until six months comes down the road and you're given an opportunity and it sucks. Um, and then you're like, well, damn, I wish yes. I was doing this the last six months, you know? <laughs> I don't know. You just have to decide that you're going to do it and you just have to do it. And it's not <laughs> going to happen from somebody telling you. Just like transcribing or anything else. Like, it's not, you're not really going to get anything out of it until you decide. You know, intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic motivation. I mean, it doesn't, I could tell you what to do all day long, but until you decide that that is actually the thing that you want to be doing, then it doesn't matter. You know, you can lead a horse to water. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or as uh, one of my professors said, hell, you could even lead a horse to honey exactly. <laughs> and nothing so is going to help. You got to decide. You, um, know, you decide if you're having trouble, you know, you are not the only musician that has trouble with scheduling has trouble with keeping things together then that way. Most people don't have a calendar. They don't even barely use the calendar on their phone. You'd be lucky if they show up to the gig. I'm not a huge uh, and I okay, I say this is someone that doesn't calendar. So let's 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 throw that out there. <laughs> um I don't like calendars on my phone. Calendars have you tried on your phone? Um well I've been forced calendars through you and sure. Alexa when I worked with her and 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 Roxy and people, but it's just like it doesn't um like I've done a thing over and over where like I make um a, a calendar at the beginning of the semester when I was in school and I would like have this plan. I'd be like, I'm gonna wake up and get like I got class from nine to eleven, so I'm gonna get to school, I'm gonna do an hour from eight to eight fifty to warm up. And you know, like I would I would put this stuff in my calendar of like practice sessions every afternoon I was supposedly going to do. And like, it's so simple to just see a, uh, something on your calendar and be like, ah, nah, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't know that. That's, that's just, you're not, it just, you know, maybe you didn't plan your calendar correctly. <laughs> you know that you have that type of mo um, non-motivation in the moment. You know? Yeah. I mean, and this kind of goes back to something that I discussed in, um, when I was asked to give like my teaching, I don't know, ideology, philosophy, however you want to describe it is like how, and I guess I'll pose this to you and how you do it. Um, because obviously there's some students that are way more motivated and more disciplined than I, and that's incredible because they're going to do great things, hopefully. Um, but like with, with jazz and whatnot, like what, um, what milestones do you mark in your own progress so that you get a feeling of not reward, but like an understanding of progress? Because in like to attribute it in a simple way, like in classical music, if you go into your trumpet lessons and you and your professor, like every week you're, you know, you're working on um, exercises and, and stuff for your technique and all, but they say like, well, this semester you're going to do the Haydn. Um, like, obviously, you're going to, um, you won't necessarily play it as well as, like, Teeny Thing Halseth or Alison Balsam or someone like that, but there's there's a way to mark milestones by, like, the completion of a, a movement, mm -hmm. you know, or of a page. Um, so how do you do that with your own students so that, like, there is a feeling of of progression and an acknowledgement of like actually progressing versus a feeling of 
of plateauing or, or stalling or or that because like if you're just playing over tunes like that's not necessarily no, beneficial without a, without a um purpose is not going to get you that far but i think uh you know i mean for my students i measure things in sometimes it's short intervals sometimes it's long intervals like uh we it's all about setting the priorities before you even start i mean that's what you're doing with your classical teacher by saying we're going to do the Haydn. i mean there's a lot of things that go into that just like if you decide i'm going to transcribe you know clifford brown's cherokee solo from the max roach record like there's a certain amount of technique you got to get together in order to do that you have to learn cherokee you have to be able to play at the tempo you have to actually do the transcription you have to actually learn the tune you have to actually then take the vocabulary and apply it to improvising over that tune you know there's like definitely markers uh, the same way you know i think that it's really important as a jazz musician to develop a similar approach to practicing and learning the music that you would in a classical setting like having systems of learning tunes having systems and ways of working on tunes so that you can know that you can progress through those iterations and if you don't have that you should ask your teacher for some ideas about how to do that and if they don't have any idea it might be time to find a new teacher because there's only so much inspiration that you can glean from a teacher before you need some actual practical suggestions about ways that you can practice something you know if i just tell you oh just play with the abersol you know 50,000 times like yeah, you'll get better, but you're not going to really get better as if I tell you, okay, so check out this note. It needs to happen in this measure. And you can check out this, you know, this phrase that Freddie Hubbard plays in this place. Try to take that, implement that. You know, you need actual suggestions, I think, from time to time. But in terms of tracking progress, you know, if we take something like for a semester, take an exercise, take a some kind of workout or something, and it's like, all right, there's you know, 14 weeks in a semester, the first and last weeks don't count. There's 12, we'll do it in 12 keys, one key per week. You got progress every week, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, which is interesting to hear because like I agree and I see the benefits too, but I, that also is like the double-edged sword of what a lot of people, um, may argue about jazz in like an academic setting they're like well it's becoming too academic it's becoming too methodical but like to a degree like it it needs to be methodical yeah, i mean know? there's there's a even more methodical approaches than my but my approach i'm not saying it needs to be super methodical but there needs to be something you can't just like go in in a vacuum and just expect to get better from just from being practicing you have to ha have things to work on you have to be listening. I think, you know, even just listening, you can tell that if students are listening, they just get better because they're listening, because their musical concept evolves and they are trying to play like the masters that they listen to. You, know? you can tell. That's all. That's part of it, which is internalizing. And that takes a long time to just internalize, like, you know, the swing feel of Art Blakey or Elvin Jones. You can tell who people are listening to just by how they play. Right, which I mean is also um, a weird thing because with jazz, um, you know, it's not the popular music. No one's going to argue that. <laughs> you know, it's obviously um, happens unless you see this weird thing of like, if you compare yourself to Clark Terry or to JJ or to Elvin or whomever, 
um, you can almost run into an issue of like getting depressed because you're like, wow, they're so good <laughs> and I suck. But if you also look around like at the general public that's doing jazz, that is not, you know, your Mike D's right now, your Billy Childs, your Steve Wilson, you know, all those people. Um, you kind of, you almost get a feeling of not like, oh, I'm better than you, but like an understanding of, um, you know what, maybe you're not as bad as you thought. You're just trying to compare yourself to like literal legends of the music, you know, which can kind of get, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, bad for people's sure. mental health. Just comparing yourself maybe. to anyone is going to send you down the wrong path eventually, you know, not that I, I don't like enjoy listening to sure but you you know you can get listen more objectively and be like is that what i meant to do or not and and not listen for you know i'm not trying to compare myself to jj johnson or mike d's because it's not gonna it's like you said it's gonna send me into a negative space yeah but you know um not like maybe not as much with Mike D's, but like with JJ or Curtis Fuller, you know, that's people that you grew up like aspiring to be like. So, you know, I'm sure when you were learning, it was, it was disappointing. Oh, you know, why. like, why can I not play over <laughs> my favorite things like JJ Johnson? Like, what the heck? Um, and who knows? That might be because you hate that standard. <laughs> but I think I think with jazz music and I don't know anything. I mean, I I completely I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Skills. You know, there's like a point um, of accumulating vocabulary, which is a lot of work and it takes a long time. And then you hit a level where all of a sudden things just start to make sense and it just becomes natural and second nature. And then it becomes and then the hard work starts of actually like okay, how do I get from this general understanding to a mastery? That's when you have to go seek out these really specific ways of getting better and learning, you know, 25 different ways to create a dominant chord because you want to just, because you're hungry to know how to do that, not because somebody told you to go and do it. Which is interesting because I would agree as, as a student of, uh, you know, we're all lifelong students, but as someone that just became, it is like, hard. finished being a formal student, um, learning the vocabulary is hard, and it is it is difficult. But everyone, when you ask them, they make it seem like the most simple thing in the world. It's like, oh yeah, just go transcribe and learn thing in twelve is. keys. Like you'll be fine. Just literally do that, and that's that's the answer. Just do it. I mean, it's, I mean, you can say that, it's but not, it's, but it's, but it's not that simple you, always. You know the language, or you don't. Like, do you know how to speak Spanish or not? You know. Well, no, I mean, like, that's not necessarily the best method. Like that, just doing those two things alone is not the most efficient way. I don't think, because like, if you just transcribe oh, sure. and learn something I mean, in twelve yeah, keys, like they it. also you forgot the whole it applying it. Improvise, you know, yourself, in perspective. But, to amass the vocabulary is is a big part of it. Right. Well, and then you know you got um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just things that you have to um. 
it's overwhelming, you know, I think to some people and you just have to really like look at it and be like, you know what, you have to accept that it's not going to be a, um, there's no finite point. Like I was talking about with someone the other day that most other people who are not doing a music degree, like if they got a degree in marketing or they got a degree in engineering or, or what have you, you know, you finish college, you get your degree and your degrees are very, um, uh, a pivotal point in your life because then you're like, you, you have formal job applications and everything. And then you get your job and you're, you know, like you're, you're making your headway. And I think you just have to accept as a, it is not as a, a jazz musician or as a, any musician, like that's not as much of a thing, you know, you get your degree, but like, what is what does that matter? Yeah. Because like, it doesn't matter if you get a degree, you know, and it doesn't matter what not, because like there is no, yeah, um, I mean, it's true. <laughs> like you, you the the hill never breaks. <laughs> There's just always yeah, a hill. Yeah, doesn't ever let up. You're right. Great ninety degree climb. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I mean, <laughs> wait, hold on. This has gone from walking up a hill to like a lot mountain of climbing around the end of undergrad, because they, or even halfway through undergrad, you know. It's like uh, realizing that there's not a path, you know. It's not a, it's not a career. You know, I've I've talked to other people about this. It's likened more to like if studying jazz is kind of like studying philosophy. You know, you can't expect that every single person is going to come out and be a jazz musician. You know, like it's like nobody, not everyone that goes and studies philosophy is going to think they're going to be like the next Aristotle. Sometimes we get in our head that every student is going to be the next Miles Davis, and that's just not the case. You, know? you have to uh, you have to approach it and like know that it's a that not everyone is going to go forward after school. You know, and be okay. Everyone has to be okay with that. You know, it's like we get uptight about when a when a student makes a choice to go in another direction or like. Somebody just realizes it's not the lifestyle for them. You know, a lot of jazz education has moved into, you know, high schools. And those high schools, uh, you know, send kids that aren't good at sports or aren't good at anything else into music without really knowing if, like, their personality fits with being a musician. You, know? you have to like to travel. You have to like grinding out long hours in the practice room by yourself there's certain people that just those things just don't equate to their personality so being a touring musician is not going to be okay and you know so you just have to and, and that's, that's something that like your normal guidance counselor at your high school is not going to understand you know how to like equate if you're equipped you know, or whatever to deal with what comes with that lifestyle because most people don't know what it is or understand what it is. And it's not until you see and interact with other musicians on a high level that like, oh, that's just what it is. You know, that's how it, this lifestyle is and that's how it's always been. And you can't, there's certain things that you sacrifice in order to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think I would agree, you know, and I don't know 
anything compared to like your experiences, but like there's certainly people that come into college um, and you work with them in some regards and you just kind of wonder if they're, I don't think it's, it's a question of if they want uh, to it do depends it, on your, but uh, if maybe they're like, and meant to do it is a bad way to yeah, put it. I mean, it, it's just, a but if they are in the best situation path, to do it, no, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. But if you want to um, work hard at something for your whole life and have, it depends like if you're like, mission driven person or you're like a results driven person that needs like i need to progress through this clear stages and like here this is and then i become a middle manager and then i become the manager and then i work in you know management and i work my way up and whatever you kind of move up a ladder you know but like if you're a person that's mission driven and has purpose maybe outside of that that doesn't care about those other things and maybe being a musician is something that appeals to you you know we're like fringe on the society you know? being able to like decide oh i'm just going to go here for a while that's not a normal thing you know like it's just nothing about being a musician is normal <laughs> um okay so here's an interesting question um, if you can think no, back to like the pre-internet era when you took a year off between undergrad and graduate, um, <laughs> um, what day to day, right? How did you, how did you hold yourself accountable as to know if you made that day, um, not, efficient's not the right word, but if you if you met. I mean, I guess your goals, or if you're just productive that day on your, I, not even necessarily instrument, just like in your mus musician growth, like what did you do day to day to be like, I was productive today? I mean, and during that year specifically, day, day, I had like, Were you just like goal. really adamant about so like goal setting? One goal or had a couple of facets, but I was one, I wanted to get into Juilliard and move to New York. That was my goal. That was it. I took that year off for that one purpose. And um, so everything re revolved around that one purpose. And so at that point in my life, I had decided I was going to practice at least three hours per day. So if I pra practiced three hours in the day, then I said that was a good day. And in that year, I was also trying to take control of like my health. So if I worked out, I had to work out and also practice the kumbo. And you know, do whatever else. But those two things were my priorities. And if I checked them both off, then that was a good day. So I, I just had two things. That's all I had to do every day was two things. But, uh, I mean, that that was a very specific you know, time. You know, I had a very specific goal, and I was going to get out of Rochester, and I was going to try to save money, and all of this kind of stuff. So it was just one one kind of singular focus. But that was me, and I, and it, it happened to work out. Mm. If it didn't work mm. out, I don't know what I would have done. No, I mean, that, I still was going to go sense. to New York, but everything would have worked out a lot differently, I think, you know. Right, right. Um, no, that makes sense. Now, if we were to, to spin into a completely different thing um this story that we have going back to the uh the cds uh the fake cds is developing um 
so I have my email open as we're like we've been in contact with uh with Amazon, you know, to try and get them down because you know obviously to anyone that doesn't deal with label stuff, the argument right. is that someone is trying to sell CDs um that is not a distributor like our distributor that we've signed a contract with that our CDs should go through, um and Amazon is claiming that um. It's it's gets but more there difficult is no used because they're selling. Sell. So they're claiming they're selling a used copy used product or something. Right. So they're saying like Amazon is saying that you would have to um, that this isn't a case of like vendor rights, but this is a case of copyright because um, it, right. it's they're selling used versions, which technically is not wrong um but then obviously our argument coming back is along the lines of well there is no like nothing physical was created so that so oh, this is going <laughs> to so be, this is gonna be a whole it's, thing it's, it's only for one more. copy too look at look at what we stumbled into for our friday well i mean that was the same thing so uh to people that don't know, my professor in undergrad, Scotty Barnhart, wrote this like jazz history textbook. Um, textbooks not necessarily right where we use it as a textbook in a lot of things, but it's it's a very um including of mostly everybody jazz trumpet history book. Um and I remember there was one year where he was telling like the incoming students, you know, buy oh, this, right. like we read this. it, we go through it and everything. And on Amazon they were selling That's for like thousands of dollars. Yeah, and evidently, like, they had – well, it wasn't an error. Like, people were selling it for that because there's companies that are supposedly in, like, South America and in Asia that will buy right. up products when they see there's low inventory yep. and then automatically skyrocket yeah, the that price was not the, in hopes that, like, do that with, it becomes uh, a rarity. I feel like – I'm not sure if that still happens as much because that was all, like, computer-driven. I remember finding more out about that. Like the computer yeah, because, I mean, it's like, – Oh, well, low inventory and then – like one person sees the price go up and then the next place like raises it and then they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and the computer just keeps on doing it. Amazon is a complicated, complicated marketplace. I will just say that. Brings a lot of issues to light. Though what no. is uh what's funny is like I picked up um I know that it's a TV show like, and I know that they Pawn go Stars? and buy stuff from Pawn Shop. Do you know what Pawn Stars is? Or they have a Pawn Shop. Yeah, right. Yeah, they go and find stuff for their Pawn Shop. I have seen it, but don't. Close people go to their Pawn Shop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Apparently. Okay. Well, they... like one of the things that they talk about on Pawn Stars, you know, if we're using this as a resource. Um, <laughs> is that autographs that are made out to a specific person and that person is not of interest um, like devalues the autograph a little bit because sure. you know no one wants to see like an autograph that says to Gary you know um, when they're buying something unless it was <laughs> like signing an autograph to like I don't know the president of the time right um, sure. sure yeah I mean look Unless they're signing off to someone else of note. Um, so I looked up uh, Scotty's book to see if it was still going for thousands of dollars. 
um, and there's a used copy that's going for 110, but it's listed as a collectible by somebody because on the inside it's inscribed with the author saying, to Eden, it was a pleasure meeting you. I hope the best, like my best Scotty Barnhart. Um, and so that's just, that's interesting to me because like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes if I got a book that was signed to someone else with something like that, I'd be like, yeah, it is okay, this is, you know, right. all right. Like it's still I just a use Amazon copy. is very complicated. The whole automated thing. And even if like we get out of stock on Amazon all the time and it's hard to get stock back in because they have automated procedures and it's an ongoing battle with Amazon. But. That's the place. Yeah, I mean, it's like I don't want to pay for shipping either. Honestly, and it's Prime. tough because they're that. like the 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 masters. So, like, it's the place to put it. But yeah, <laughs> they hooked us out. They Honestly, everyone. Prime Prime has ruined us. Like, I remember I was talking to you the other day, or not the other day, but a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, man, I just had to drive to uh, to this place in yeah, Nashville, like 30 minutes away, because they only, you know, they have Unless I'm at the store, then I'll buy like, it. Why don't you just order it on Amazon? You drove 30 minutes each way to get it. It's not a good use of time. Speaking of, speaking of being, you know, tied to the calendar. Well, it is a good efficient. use of time. I think I could argue this. Anyway. I think I think we're gonna wrap it up for today, but uh, I think that, that I mean was, it turned it, a lot different yeah. than I thought it was gonna turn. Conversation very serious. I was just gonna complain about somebody that canceled on an appointment, but this turned out to be a much more thoughtful discussion than than intended. But uh, <laughs> you think what? I think. <laughs> I know. Everyone I just knows think. I think in general, I can yourself. be thoughtful. I can have meaningful conversations. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Hang. We are gonna. We'll be back uh, next month talking about uh, whatever cultural events or musical events happen over the next couple of weeks. And we're always looking for new submissions for our This Is Jazz Today playlist available on Spotify. So if you got new albums coming out, send them our way. Info at outsideinmusic.com and. Uh, Make sure you check out that Roxy Cost CD that came out the other day. I'm sure you uh, will find it at uh, your your favorite jazz media outlet. So uh, thanks to Alan for being here, and uh, we'll see you next time.